Welcome to Mind Space Minimal, a podcast exploring the connections between consciousness, lifestyle, wellness, and aesthetics. We're your hosts. I'm Jessica Yatrovsky. And I'm Daniel Ryan. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today we are talking about, yeah, like, um, and you know, uh, what? <laughs> Verbal ticks. Verbal ticks. Mm-hmm. And when I was researching this, I also came across something about upspeak. You heard this term? Like what? Like, Where you speak up like that? And I was like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or I don't know if that was a good impersonation of that, but I try when to. The voice goes really high like that. <laughs> I can't even go that high anymore. I used to have a great falsetto. I don't anymore. Well, I'm like in this place in my life where like I'm borderline Elizabeth Holmesing it because I try to preserve my voice and try to speak in a more like even way, mm-hmm. but I get excited and I start yeah. talking fast and less calculated like I'm talking right now because now we've transitioned into talking about verbal tics Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I can't help it like um filler words all of these (laughs) it's hard to not use them and but but the upspeak thing I was like oh that's interesting because I do do that when I get on the phone with like a friend or my sister, I naturally kind of mimic the way they're speaking. Sure. But anyways, I didn't want to get off course, like verbal tics, like, oh, help me. How do we get rid of them? <laughs> like, I just, they, oh, like a tick, like I want an exterminator to come in. Like, let's get these out of here. Well, I'll tell you what, the crux of it, as far as I'm concerned, which you've already hit on, is that so much of it is contextual. And the number one resource that we have that we can bring to verbal tics and just the way we communicate in general is always situational awareness Mm -hmm. and a certain kind of listening. So, you know, Jessica, to your point, which this is true for me as well. You know, if I start getting excited or worked up, you'll hear my pace of speech get faster I mean, you know, if we were hanging out at a restaurant or a bar that was super loud and I don't know anymore, (laughs) but these things that I I used to read about, but you know, like if we were in a crowded place that was loud, we would be yelling at each other and speaking loudly Mm -hmm. and trying to hear each other. So, so much of it genuinely is contextual and comes down to the situational awareness that we can apply in a given moment and the magic of it. When we can get there, this is this is the real art of it, too, is as we've talked about triggers and states, you know, thousands of times and in thousands of ways, and we'll continue to. It's noticing it's knowing ahead of time preemptively what would get us worked up or what would make us anxious or speedy or whatever it might be. And then canceling that out, not responding to it. Cancel, cancel, as we say. <laughs> it's, you know, it's becoming aware of it and putting it out of your mind before it has the chance to take over your nervous system in any way, subconsciously or consciously, mm-hmm. and and remaining 
steadfastly and comfortably in whatever pace of speech you would like to, really. Some of the most famous speakers mm-hmm. have these verbal tics, but oh, yeah. they're not as audible because they're they don't have like vocal fry right well besides that you know I i'm think thinking of some the vocal fry act- makes it worse the vocal fry yeah, like this so you if mean. you're like talking like this like and then you're just like can't just yeah. like you know what i mean like totally oh, yeah. then you can't really <laughs> pay attention to the person like i find that men or women with vocal fry the vocal fry actually doesn't bother me as much as huge pauses and then people going, eh, mm, um, it's a that. And I've been told and have read and have tried to apply just when you're taking a pause, just take the pause. Don't fill it with anything. That's such mm-hmm. a challenge. Or when you're trying to struggle to explain something or articulate something. Right. To not say, you know, it's like, unless you're saying, you know, it's like this. But. Yes. And unless you're using it correctly. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I can't help myself. Like I was literally listening to an episode that we put out recently which was a lovely episode. And I said like about a hundred times in that episode. And it was like 30 minutes. It was a 30 minute episode. And I loved the episode. And I was like, (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Like, is it that even obvious that I said like a lot? Maybe. But I felt that the content of what we were saying kind of eclipsed how much I was using the word like because I was just genuinely excited to be talking mm-hmm. and you know, my voice wasn't too high. <laughs> so I think it was like passable, acceptable. And I'm not going to tell you what episode we're talking about. So you'll never fucking know. You have to listen you'll to just them. have to go back and listen to all yeah. of them. And Every find, single and find out one. Which one it was. Yeah. That's right. You'll probably find how- worse infractions. <laughs> On my end, how, at least. How did I do in that episode out of curiosity? How is my my like to unlike ratio? Oh, you were fine, actually. But you have you have a waveform. Go on. That looks like this. Okay. And I do not set this episode up to bring this up, by the way. This Please. is totally, completely coming up authentically. Um, I'm being put on blast, everybody. I look we for go. it. So when I open a file, I know what my tick is, what it, the waveform yeah. shape it is. And I know what yours is. Hmm. You do a thing where you go, um, and it's a, f- <laughs> it makes a shape. I can make a fucking sure. NFT and sell it online. Dan, <laughs> like this is, cool, actually. this is Dan pause. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds it's, interesting. It's an M it's like an, um, but it's, um, and yeah. you say, no, it. I, I, I've caught red-handed here. I know what you're referring to. I, I hear myself do it. Mine are way worse, though, because I can't detach them from a next sentence. So I attach them to the next word, which makes it impossible if I wanted to delete it right. to take it impossible off. Impossible to edit. 
Yeah. Yes. It's really, really upsetting because I'll be making a really great point about something and saying like, yeah, you know, like as when I uh, was uneditable, <laughs> not possible, have to leave or take the thought out completely, which I've relaxed about. And I also think the more that we speak into these microphones, the less mm-hmm. those verbal ticks are even happening. And that when they mm-hmm. do happen, it's like, doesn't upset me. I'm like, that's just what I sound like. If you don't want to listen to this podcast, go turn it off. <laughs> you know? Well, I think these I think these habits, especially like just that word, like mm-hmm. in the way it's used, I mean, ubiquitously. I think that that habit is becoming more and more socially acceptable, frankly. Yeah. I hear it everywhere i hear news anchors do it i hear politicians they have their do own it. i hear actors do it yes of course so you know unfortunately and this doesn't make me happy or anything i, I guess it's just the way the the tide is is going but uh i think a lot of this stuff is becoming ingrained and more socially acceptable mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious have you ever taken any acting or speech classes did you ever take any kind of like diction or pronunciation classes anywhere in your experience yeah actually uh this is awkward um (laughs) (laughs) go on i'm sorry (laughs) i'm like this is awkward and this fucking race car just goes like right outside the window (laughs) it's just like some kind of uh you know, signal. Is a sound effect ready to go? <laughs> it's like yeah. somebody hit the button. Um, so a few things. One was I took it upon myself at some point to record myself to see what I sounded yeah. like for presentations yeah. and for speaking in public. You can hire people to help you do this. Um, they're mm-hmm. like speech coaches. They charge, there's this really famous one in New York, and I contacted them actually maybe two years ago because I wanted to do some TED Talk prepping. So mm-hmm. they're super famous. I don't want to blast their names out, but I'm sure if you, you Google it, they're uh, based in New York. It's about three grand to work with a person. Um, Mm -hmm. to prep you how much time do you get for that three grand out of curiosity i forgot but i do know that they do the same thing they basically the reason also why i was curious about it is because i wanted it to be more of um pr like public relation type of thing where i wanted media training more than i more than anything that's what i was interested in but why I was laughing so hard is because um, when I was younger, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I competed in for Miss Nevada Teen USA, oh. and <laughs> I was in the pageant system. Oh wow! <laughs> That's wild. Did you know this? this- this is a biographical detail I have never you don't heard. Know this. No, okay. I didn't. I did not know okay, that. I've got to no. post some pictures on the internet. I'm gonna blow fucking people's minds. Um, Please do, Miss Teen Nevada. Uh, so Miss, so there's Miss 
USA and Miss Teen USA, right? We all know that. Mm -hmm. So in order to win Miss USA or Miss Teen USA, you have to win Miss your state USA. You compete in your yeah. state. Yeah. So um, I used to run for Miss Nevada Teen USA. And the reason why I did this was because I was incredibly shy and I knew this about myself. And I was, I think, about 13 or 14. And the guy I was dating had a friend, a girlfriend, not like a love interest, but a friend at his school. Mm -hmm. And she was running for Miss Nevada Teen USA. And I was like, I should really do this because I cannot speak in public. And from what I know about the USA system mm -hmm. or the, or I should say, um, yeah, what, what I know about that particular pageant system is that the way they rate the women that compete and how you advance is because you can speak well. Now, I don't mm. know. I got to look back on this because a lot of them are not such good public speakers, but that's how you advance. And it's something that you don't see televised. It's actually behind the scenes. You have private interviews with that panel of judges you see on television, mm -hmm. you talk to them one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one behind the scenes. So you have like an interview process, a CV where you have to give like your aspirations as a person, your ideas about philanthropic pursuits, all of these things. And you have to learn how to talk about them and articulate this to an audience and basically elevator pitch yourself. So mm -hmm. I learned how to do this at the age of like 13 because I was like, I'm not going to be anybody in life unless I can get over the fear of public speaking and being on a quote stage. I didn't have any interest in like acting or anything like that, but I really wanted to not be shy. And I was always very shy, but behind closed doors like we are now, very animated, very not shy. So I don't know if you call what is we, we always talk about this. I don't know if I'm introvert, extrovert, extrovert, introvert, whatever the hell I am. We can um, do both. My Myers-Briggs personality is an I'm, I'm an INFJ. So do what you will with that. Um, <laughs> basically, when I started doing these pageants, I was able to develop that skill set that I wanted because it wasn't mm. about winning. And the funny mm -hmm. thing about it was that I was always winning Miss Congeniality. <laughs> oh, man, that's and, awesome. And Spirit <laughs> Awards because um, the rest of the women liked me. And that meant so much more to me than anything because I wasn't trying to win the pageant. I was trying to be somebody. <laughs> I was trying to be better. I was trying to get better. And I was helping other women feel good about themselves mm -hmm. in this like fucked up thing now that we look at. And we're like, oh, my God, we were like giving scores to women. But honestly, like this is a nice story, oh, though. I, I well, it really helped my public speaking. And it really helped me try to figure out, eliminate that vocal fry and the verbal tics. I had a coach, somebody that worked with me and she sure. was harsh, man. It was like, mm. you know, that that choreographer that comes in in that movie, uh, Bring It On, the cheerleading movie. 
it was like mm-hmm. the, that choreographer, like she was okay. like, mm. you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't really want to like win. Like, I'm just trying to do this for fun because it was really fun. But yeah, like I won Miss Congeniality because I was like, what's everyone being sad about? Come on. <laughs> you know, there's only going to be one winner and we all know it's going to be this chick because you just kind of know who's going to win. Based on sure. all of the parts put together, it's like the looks, the way they walk, the way they talk, just the their essence. I could pick out who was going to win every time I competed, but that hmm. didn't really matter so much. I had one year where I got caught up in the hype of it, and that was the mm-hmm. last year that I did it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I got the tools I needed from it and I moved on, but So when people say like, oh, pageants, beauty pageants are really bad, I actually think that the way they're evolving now, like getting rid of the swimsuit portion and all that is really good because I think it helps young women have the ability to stand on stage and speak to an audience. And unless you're like into acting or public speaking or debate, like how else are you going to get into that in some cities and states that you live in? So I actually think it's kind of cool and fun. And, you know, I don't like what I'm a feminist. So now I have like very specific (laughs) opinions about beauty pageants, but they're Mm -hmm. not calling them that anymore. I don't know what they're calling them or if they've been canceled. I haven't kept up on it. But yeah, I used I'm a I'm a recovering (laughs) beauty pageant contestant. That's amazing. I I love that story, Jessica. (laughs) I appreciate your sharing it with me. Um, First of all, you know, it's it's heartwarming to think of teenaged Jessica in Nevada looking for a way to to solve the problem that mm-hmm. you're describing and, and finding, of all things, this beauty pageant. But, you know, I can only imagine, like, what your other options may have been around you at the time. Like, I, I literally have no idea. I, I didn't can't either. imagine there were many. I didn't know but, that like, there was, like... Uh, see, you got to understand I was shy, so I wasn't going to do something like join the debate team because I didn't feel confident sure. and women tend to not feel confident intellectually at that age because men are really, they are encouraged to even shout out even if they have the wrong answer. It's just just shout out a answer. when I And I think that you and I have spoke about this before where I would never raise my hand or shout out an answer unless I absolutely knew it was the correct answer. And even if I did know it was the correct answer, I would still second guess if I had the answer to the equation correct, even though I did. So it is a gender thing as well happening. So I I wasn't going to join the debate team. Yeah, I mean, to that point, it's also heartwarming because, I mean... As a man, I hear a lot of stories about women not getting along, you know, and to hear that it actually like had a what sounds like a a bonding element for you to these other women and a kind of like sisterhood in it. I don't know where we would find a cross section of stories, but you may have had the most wholesome pageant story (laughs) on earth. Like, you know, I mean, I don't I don't again, I don't know who to compare it to. But uh, this isn't the story we hear very often. I would share one more thing about that, too. I think to your point about the bonding, what was kind of cool is that my parents, I remember when I went to them and asked them if I could enter that and they were like, Mm. come again. 
Like <laughs> you what? No, you're beautiful. I can imagine. Like there's no question in our minds that you could nice. win on looks or something like that, which I didn't agree with, but and I still don't, you know, and I'm not saying that to be like, uh, but I think that they were like you're not into like vapid stuff. You're like this insular personality artist type. Why do you want to do this? And I made my case and they were like, okay, they allowed me to do it. But my mom, who's always been this person in my life that was like, you know, softer spoken and kind of let me do my thing. She wasn't a pageant mom, right? She didn't care. I was already like a teenager at this point. But my dad would get so nervous every time I would compete. And I remember I left a bra at home. Like I needed like a strapless bra for this dress. And my dad was the one that had to deliver it. And he was like, Mm. she needs this. It was like in a package. And he was like freaking out. And my mom was like, you should have seen your dad. He's like on the edge of his seat in the audience. Like over this thing so it was like a bonding experience with my dad in this weird way bonding experience with these women because I was talking to Mm. them about like it doesn't matter whether you win or lose but I'm gonna help you airbrush your abs right now (laughs) like I was doing that stuff in the back rooms and that Mm. was just so fun like I I love that and I've been in a sorority and I feel like the pageant stuff it it was so much stranger and crazier and gave me those skills to that when I got into college and then joined another group of women where I was doing more public speaking. It was like continuing to develop my voice, but I don't think I would have gotten there without having had this very like this very formative sort of experience of speaking on a stage to an audience Mm. of people about like my political position about something going on in Nevada you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, but mm-hmm. anyways, but so with verbal tics, yes, I, I have some things that people say on the internet that are helpful. I can share those. Let's hear them. Let's do it. So this article I found is on publicationcoach.com, how to eliminate your verbal tics. So I think that, so these are just some suggestions that this person gave one, Be aware of your tics. And that's something that you already brought up. Awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, The second tip was write yourself notes. So I'm actually going to read you this one. It says, put plenty of reminders about your tic in your notes. Remember not to say, um, appears in all my speech and presentation folders. I've also had debaters who've done well by writing themselves directions to slow down or smile more. This is funny. I do this in my presentations. I say, Hmm. stop, breathe, repeat. Like, I I don't know what you do in your notes. I feel like it's ingrained in your brain. That's the way I look at you. No, that's, I mean, that's great though. That that reminds me of like direction in a script. It's like a direction, you know, which is actually very good to give ourselves Mm -hmm. sometimes. So, yeah. And the third tip is speak more slowly, which I think you and I would both agree with and try mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. Not too slow there's because a, then... There's yeah. a balance. Yeah, there's a balance. Four is embrace the sound of silence. Yes. If you're an INFJ, this is your holy grail. Five, 
forgive yourself, (laughs) which I'm like, what? So I got to give context here. This person says getting rid of a tick is hard. Don't expect yourself to fix it overnight, depending on your age and how ingrained the habit is. You're likely looking at a project that will take months or years to change. Now, I think coming from a hypnotherapist, you might disagree with that a little bit. I, yeah, I disagree with it depending on the person, yeah. right? It's case by case and depending on that person's motivation to change a certain thing and learn a yeah. new thing. But it, it, but if there's that true desire to change something or, or learn a different way, absolutely. Then we got pretty much most of what yeah. we need. And there's this other article I found on berkeley.edu. Super cute title to this article. I'm going to link it mm. in the show notes because I actually think that it's it's worth a read. It's called I Can Fry If I Want To. <laughs> and it says, why are, female, why are females chided for vocal tics that guys use too? And it's by this writer, Chrissy Elliott. And um, yeah, just some a little few takeaways from this. Like she starts it out by saying, if her voice is too high, she fails to convey authority. If she aims low and engages in vocal fry, that creaky voice dip in tone at the end of a sentence, she's contributing to the vocal fry epidemic. So it goes on and on to describe this and kind of break it apart and examine it with in regards to gender, which I think is interesting because men have vocal fry too, but women are usually called out on it. And Yeah, and she just says, but here's the truth of the matter. Both genders engage in these vocal and speech behaviors. So I would give it a read. It's a really interesting article. And that other thing that I found when I Googled, too, about upspeak, I think we all engage in upspeak, depending on what we're talking about. But people sometimes take that for a ride. You know, it gets really intense. Sure. Or Yeah, there's definitely ways it can be Everything's a question? Too far. Yeah. No matter what they say. And like, that's not actually Valley Girl. And then there's something that irritates the shit out of me. And I just got to get it out of my system. And this is the episode for it. Is that I listen to Howard Stern. You and I both know this. And Mm -hmm. he talks about vocal fried. He makes fun of it. And it is really funny. But he says that he read somewhere in an article. And it's not fact. So I wish he would stop fucking saying this. He says that, or people, or women, young women speak in vocal fry to sound more intelligent. Hmm. I I want to know the article because he's been talking about this for like decades. And I actually think vocal fry is more of a, like, I don't care. Like, I'm so like chill and relaxed. This doesn't make me sound intelligent. I actually sound like I don't know where anything in my house <laughs> is because I'm so fucking stoned. That's not intelligent. But I guess the link is that you talk so lazily that you don't give a fuck because you're so smart. I don't see that link. I see that as like a valley person affect it has nothing I mean, to do with intelligence howard stern women are not speaking and talking in vocal fry because they want to come off intelligent i'm putting it out there right now get that message we are not using vocal fry to sound intelligent 
We slip into vocal fry because we're fucking tired. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well said. What here, are here. your thoughts on that? Here. I think it's I think the interpretations are willy nilly. That's that's my diagnosis on the situation. But you're professional. Think, Do you think people speak with vocal fry to sound more intelligent? I think if somebody has it in their mind that that's a strategy, then I'd be curious to know where they got that idea. That's weird. You know, like I, I, here's the thing. I think people have all variety of responses and reactions to the sound of their own voice. To the point of what we were saying before, even, I think you mentioned, if it wasn't this conversation, a previous one, where you recorded your own voice because you wanted to know what you sounded like. You know, I was a singer in bands for years, and I listened to my own voice a ton, and it was really difficult at the beginning, Mm -hmm. actually. And, uh, you know, now, as a hypnotherapist, there's a completely different attention on my voice, but I'm constantly recording my voice still, and, you know, just... There's all kinds of responses and reactions, and they are strangely emotionally driven. So I don't I don't know what the hell Howard Stern sources either, and I don't necessarily buy it. Everybody uh, knows if what you want to sound intelligent as a woman, you got to lower your voice a few octaves or whatever, a few ticks. I mean, I think that's the rule. Well, actually, that's the rule in general that for men as well. Uh, it is very interesting what you mentioned before about the gendered interpretations mm-hmm. and hearing men versus hearing women and how that happens differently. But I can say very certainly for men in terms of interpreting guys' masculinity in a very kind of primate way, you know, there's like a ton of unconscious. You know, I don't even think we're thinking about this actively. I think it's underneath the surface. It's nonverbal. But for a higher tone of voice, it's just going to be associated with a child's voice in many ways, whereas a lower tone of voice will be associated with a more mature person's voice. I would like to get your feedback on this. So when I was a child, I was not allowed to engage with my parents if I used, quote, baby talk over a certain age. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the story? No, no. I've heard it before with other okay. families, though. Yeah. So I would run up to my dad and ask him a question. And he would say, I'll answer your question when you speak to me like an adult. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm like six. And he's like, right. you cannot speak to me in that baby voice. And mm-hmm. I would regroup and I would come back and I would ask my question in an adult voice. And parents say what you will about this. But I feel like that, especially being a woman, really served me. Like, I'm so fucking mm. grateful because mm. my dad, he's got a temper and he's like a very hot headed personality. But that thing in particular that he did with both Mm -hmm. me and my sister, I didn't fucking bring that baby talk around because I mean, the way you see it being used, like then your kids go out into the world and they use baby talk with their friends or their teachers. It, it it keeps them stuck. Infantilized. Yeah. Pardon my interruption. Infantilized. I mean, it keeps them 
as kids, yeah. <laughs> you know, locked in that communication style. Yeah, so yeah, what's, what's your feedback on that? Cause I feel so blessed, hashtag blessed that my mm-hmm. dad was like, don't speak to me in that way. Period. Yeah. I, listen, the, I think the result of it is what you just said. You know, if, if you're grateful and you had a positive experience out of it and the lessons are valuable to you, then beautiful. You know, I, I think then it was a very successful mm-hmm. effort on your father's part. It hurt uh, my feelings. It, right. Yeah. You know, it, I think it usually is a, a loving and a helpful thing to help encourage children to communicate more maturely at the time. It can also be hurtful or frustrating for kids, obviously. And then there's also, I don't want to pass judgment yeah. here. I'm not telling anybody how to parent, but you know, parents can take things too far and so can kids. So <laughs> there's not a one size fits no. all, but Def- definitely encouraging people to just, especially our families and children, to communicate effectively and maturely, I think is a positive thing. I remember one time my therapist called me out on something. I was like, ooh, bitch, you got me. <laughs> we were talking and my voice went like this when I was explaining sure. something. And she goes, why did you just go like And I was like, wow, this therapist is for sure on my level because most people would probably like be mortified or like fucking never go back to their therapist or whatever. But I was like, oh, shit, you got me. I was like, I don't know why I went back into that voice. And then and then we analyzed why, because obviously, you know me personally. So I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm open to criticism. I'm open to working with my practitioners on stuff that they're calling me out on. And that was a very specific thing I was talking about. And my voice changed just like the way you can analyze the direction someone's gaze is going in. And it says a lot about like what they're actually saying to you or their, you know, body, Mm. you know, all of these things that you know so much better than I do that you Mm. learn and you as a hypnotherapist, your voice is your tool. So I feel like you're so acutely aware of like true how how you can you know I'm making a lot of hand gestures here but like how you yeah. can shape experiences with the tone the pitch all of these aspects of your voice and also yes. the person on the other end that's talking back to you what's going on with them and maybe why they're at a place in their life or having these experiences through the way they're communicating to you with their voice and their tics it's like it kind of almost paints a picture of their lack of or their awareness of their awareness, if that hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Meta awareness mm-hmm. is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really interesting kind of concluding thought here. You know, the, uh, the listening that we do. A very, very quick story in my men's group recently. Somebody was telling a story and their voice went very high. And as they were finishing the story, one of the other guys in the group goes, he said with a child's voice. Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, it wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, insulting him or calling him out. He <laughs> yeah, was actually, yeah. it, in the way that your therapist <laughs> did, he was like productively bringing his attention back to it. But I was like, oh, what, what an interesting catch. You know, what an interesting catch. Because he did kind of like all of a sudden, and this, this 
guy who's a tremendous guy is like, you know, a tremendous guy. But he just like spoke in this high pitched, almost child's voice came out of nowhere. And, you know, so he just like reflected that back for him. Listening to each other and listening to ourselves in this way really is fascinating. I'm sure, you know, today when I'm talking to my wife, Sarah, at some point, I'll probably use a 12-year-old version of me's voice or something, you know, it it comes out, it comes out naturally. And it's, it especially comes out when we're tired and when we're frustrated. Yeah. So it it is a very interesting and insightful, Mm -hmm. insightful way of, of listening to human voices, just to actually key in to pitch, to tone, to pacing, to all the nonverbal elements, all the non-linguistic elements. I shouldn't say nonverbal, but non-linguistic. You know, so actually your brain, when we do this, this is one of the most interesting parts. Your brain will still catch the words. You will not cease to all of a sudden understand. You'll understand the person you're talking to perfectly. In fact, you'll probably understand them better by listening to their pacing, their Mm -hmm. tone, the finer points of their vocabulary, where they pause, the verbal tics that they use that we're talking about today, actually getting to know these things, you can realize, and I I do this all the time in session, but you can hear unconsciously the subject matter with which people do still feel like children. Yeah. You can hear the parts of their life where they do feel disenfranchised, young, immature, out of their element. Mm -hmm. You can hear it in the not even in the words they're using you can hear it in the tone yeah uh, so it, it's a it it's easier and more intuitive than we think there's a lot of trainings around this but it's a very intuitive thing that humans i think can do pretty much easily without training but as it's well. what we have to communicate with if we can speak there are people that cannot speak and True. so for me my journey has always been to try to what's the word to codify to Hmm. get this instrument in better shape and Hmm. that comes from like the mental piece of form as i am trying to explain this i'm getting more and more fumbly and not articulating at all (laughs) but Because I realized at an early age how important this was to me and the people that I looked up to, I think I realized the number one thing was men don't listen to you when you speak a certain way. And I realized that I live in a lived in a man's world and I was going to have to figure out how to get them to listen to me. So how am I going to do that? voice. But I I just noticed that I would get more quality out of my interactions with men in particular when I wasn't talking in a high pitch. I attracted more quality men and women into my life with without this like shrill kind of sounding voice. And men can sound shrill too, by the way. Of there course, are men that I cannot bear to hear them speak because of the shrillness of their voice. It's, I, I it's mean, unbearable. I actually think it's 
very wise and again just kind of intuitive of you to link on to that i always think of sound as uh, not to get too grandiose as we're finishing mm-hmm. here but you know the idea that first there was the word and that the the universe begins in vibration you know the view the universe doesn't begin as a visual experience it begins as a sonic experience so it starts with sound mm-hmm. so you know, the vibrating of our vocal cords and the vibrating of guitar strings and the vibrating of any sound, uh, a, a shrill sound is horrible. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around it. So to actually focus on having a pleasing sound, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, let's just think of the power of music for goodness sake. You know, it's, it's, so fundamental it's so primal it's so pre-verbal <laughs> it makes me like i always feel so tone deaf which is kind of funny but i i often find like when i'm looking when i'm listening to podcasts and we've talked about this in the past so i will not go on about this but i'll click around there's so many male voices right and yeah. i can't take a monotone male voice it's irritating to me and then I can't take a shrill one and then with women I can't take a certain I can't take baby talk voice and I can't take just a little like a voice like I I can't because there's nothing the the rhythm of it is displeasing and I can't get the information but yet you're talking to somebody right now that all I do is listen all day long. I'm constantly mm. logged in. I'm an auditory person. So that's really, really important to me. And like finding people that have great voices to talk to is very calming. Mm. I mean, and you know this as a hypnotherapist, oh, yeah. it's like you, it's your job to get people there with your voice. <laughs> so it's like of the utmost importance. And I've gone back and listened to certain episodes of the two of us. And I'm like, whoa, I wonder what was going on or where my awareness was at during this episode because, like, I don't sound calm or my voice sounds high or it's, Mm. you know, like high as in, you know, high pitch, not stoned. Mm. And then there's times Mm. where I sound stoned and I'm like, what the hell is going on? So, like, I like that we're having this talk now. It also feels like a little bit of uh, we're having a session (laughs) right now. But anyways... All of that said. And taking a deep cleansing Mm. breath. And thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Space Minimal. And we'll be with you in the next one. Bye, guys. Visit us at mindspaceminimal.com and email us at mindspaceminimal at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.